This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Do you have something you need to do, but you're delayed in getting it done? Many of us have that little voice in our heads that says, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Procrastination is a common trait amongst many of us, and it's often viewed as a negative one. However, a new book says that it's not always a bad thing. Soon, an overdue history of procrastination from Leonardo and Darwin to you and me looks at instances of procrastination throughout history that actually may have had positive outcomes. The author, Andrew Santella, even admits his own procrastination in actually writing this book. And it's great to have Andrew joining us right now. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. So tell us why. Why did you procrastinate in writing this book? Well, you know, I guess uh, I was really hoping when I embarked on the project that if I dove deep enough into the history and the psychology behind procrastination, I might find some, you know, kernel of justification, an excuse for my for my habit, for my lifelong habit, right? And, and right. Uh, so, so basically, my my uh, my agenda was all um, self interest. Um, but I guess what I found was that you know, like as you mentioned, some really accomplished people have, have been have tended to be procrastinators, and um, it's interesting to find that uh, even great thinkers uh, that, that, that they could become a little more understandable to us, a little more accessible to us, even to regular schmoes like me, because we all share that pretty human tendency to put off the things that we're, we dread doing. Well, and I, and I wondered if that was part of it specifically as I, as I was starting to go through the book, is the fact that, you know, with some people, especially thinkers, uh, taking the extra time may give them or they believe it would give them some sort of, of deeper level of thought and then maybe even a, a greater level to, a, to answer a particular problem. That's right, and, and it gets really dizzying the more you think about it, or at least it did to me, because, I mean, I think one of the characteristics of procrastination or one of the characteristics of procrastinators is is um, that we're, we're always trying to sort of fool ourselves and, and, and deceive ourselves about what it is we're doing, and so that when I'm, when I'm laying on the couch staring at the ceiling absentmindedly, I'm telling myself and sometimes telling my wife that I'm really writing, I'm really thinking about this problem. In my, but so, so maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Am I deceiving myself? Am I, am I, um, or, or is there something to that? Um, I, as you said, when, when it comes to creative thinking and problem solving, um, there's no one efficient path to follow. Um, and sometimes the ideas will come to you when you least expect it. And sometimes ideas will come to you when you're doing anything to avoid them. So uh, let's start with, with the two people that you mentioned uh, on the front of the book. Uh, da Vinci, what was it about Da Vinci and, and that, that made him such a procrastinator? <laughs> you know, Da Vinci is, uh, he's, uh, one of my favorite characters because as a as a longtime freelancer, I could really relate to him. You know, he was he was asked to uh, to complete a project for a church in Milan, and uh, I loved his response because I think he said he said, "Yeah, I'll have it for you in six months," which is like you know typically optimistic. That's the sort of uh, optimism that any freelancer can relate to. In fact, it took him like twenty five years to actually deliver the actually deliver the piece. Um, and and uh, it's funny because you know we think of him now as a 
great thinker, a polymath, the ultimate Renaissance man. But to his contemporaries, he was he was a little bit of a joke. He was the guy who never never finished what he started. Right. Um, and um, and it's I think what what his story, the lesson uh, of his story is is precisely that. You know, there are a lot of ways to get things done. There are a lot of paths to accomplishment. Part of part of the reason Leonardo didn't finish things was because he his mind was so active. He was drawn in so many different directions by his insatiable sort of intellectual curiosity. His notebooks and his sketchbooks are amazing. He was yeah. always taking on these huge tasks for himself. Um, sometimes, you know, you know, we'll we'll get things done. Um, when we're doing anything but what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and sometimes what seems like detours, like the detours Leonardo took, end up being, uh, end up being important paths. What about uh, Darwin? <laughs> um, Darwin, um, Darwin engaged in a, a, a decades-long delay. He came up with the ideas um, behind... Um, at the root of natural selection, um, about, about twenty more than more than twenty years before he got around to finally publishing on the origin of species, um, and he must have known that you know his ideas were world changing and and crucially important, uh, and yet he delayed in, in pursuing them. He did other things. He edited a gardening magazine. He got really interested in earthworms. He, he got obsessed with barnacles. He spent years and years researching barnacles. Um, one of the, one of the uh, stories is that he had so many barnacles pickled in jars around his house that his kids grew up thinking that this was what everyone did. And, and then one, one time when his, when his son went to a friend's house, he looked around and said, well, where does your dad keep his barnacles? Um, <laughs> so, see, so Darwin had these obsessions that he was pursuing when he might have been pursuing natural selection. Well, you know, again, he's, he's following a path that, that um, seems to lead him away from, what, from, the, from the important stuff. So but as in Leonardo's case, you know, it's hard to say what's important and what's a detour, what's, uh, you know, the, the, the things that Darwin learned in the course of his earthworm researches, you could make a case that it ended up informing his big idea about right. natural selection, the small incremental changes that add up to being something big. So then in just giving those two examples, you have one where obviously there's there's deeper thought uh, of you know trying to reach a a goal the other one it, it's there's there's a diversion element to it so in, in talking with all the people that you did for this book can you can you gather whether or not there is an element of one or uh, the other in this case that is is more prevalent that is a stronger element or are they just as common as one is the other well, I think one of the things I learned was that you know, when we procrastinate, we almost, we very rarely just do nothing instead of the thing we're supposed to be doing. That right. is to say, you know, we're, we're, there's always a replacement activity. Right. And and um, and then sometimes, I guess, if I'm not if I'm not deceiving myself, sometimes that replacement activity, that second sort of unsanctioned thing that we're not supposed to be doing, ends up being more worthy, more more wonderful than. Than the thing we were supposed to be doing in the first place, and uh, I, I think that's one of the comforting things about being a procrastinator. If if it's not a if it's not a, a self deception, um, that you know the the things we end up doing instead of the things we're supposed to be doing can can themselves be 
worthwhile. Um, I guess you have to listen to your procrastination, though, and try to understand it. We're joined by Andrew Santella, who is the author of the book Soon. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You even spent time in New Orleans, and I didn't even realize this, that there is a patron saint to procrastinators. I'm not necessarily surprised that there is, but it kind of caught me off guard. It, me too. Uh, you know, I was I was raised Catholic, and I thought I knew every saint that there was to know, but uh, I had never heard of Saint Expedite until I started working on this book. Um, I guess one of the things I should say about Saint Expedite is that it's uh, pretty well agreed now by everyone who cares that he never really existed. He's sort right. of you know a legendary, legendary uh, figure um, and and sort of a paragon of promptness. Um, which is funny because I mean it's only a only a fictional character, only a yep. legend could be as prompt as as Expedite was. The rest of us actual human beings, we tend to we tend to delay and dither a lot. And um, but but yeah, there's uh, New Orleans. There's a there's a a whole sort of um, folk uh, culture as there is uh, in other parts of the world as well um, around um, leaving devotions for St. Expedite in the hopes that he will intervene on your behalf uh, with the problem that you need solved, uh, including, you know, getting things done. Is there some reason why why that that is in New Orleans? <laughs> it's funny because you know New Orleans is I guess that's the place where the good times are supposed to roll and yeah. you know, it's a it's quite a party place so it's uh, it's funny that that would be the uh, the North American home to the shrine to Saint Expedite um, but no I guess it's a, it grows out of sort of the uh, the Creole uh, culture there a mix of Catholic and uh, uh, Voodoo uh, cultures that that sort of blended together in New Orleans, and yeah. St. Expedite's right at the heart of that. Uh, you mentioned in the book that uh, also procrastination and failure uh, are linked. And I find it interesting that there's an element of when we procrastinate and then if we fail to do something, that allows us to kind of rationalize the failure, correct? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, right. Uh, um Self-handicapping is the term that psychologists use uh, to talk about this. Um, so, for example, if I uh, if I have an exam coming up on uh, on Saturday that uh, I'm a little afraid of, I might I might actually uh, sabotage myself by staying out late uh, on Friday, not studying, partying, making it uh, making it more difficult for me to do well on a test. Why would Why would someone do that? Well, that way, if I fail the test. Uh, I, I can prote- I'm protecting myself. It's not because I'm stupid. It's not because I couldn't pass the test. It's because I didn't try my best. Well, of course I didn't pass the test. I was out partying the night before. So it's a way of sort of uh, protecting ourselves. We'd rather think of ourselves as uh, unprepared rather than just uh, incapable, if that makes any sense. That's one of the things about procrastination, though, is it often often doesn't make sense. Um, it, there's a twisted logic to it, a perverse logic to it, and um, uh, it's, it makes it harder to figure out when we're deceiving ourselves and when we're being honest with ourselves. But is it a trait that, that, that realistically we think about and, and that to a degree we even use? To our uh, either to our advantage or at least, well, yeah, maybe to to our advantage at some point. 
Right. One of the things I learned talking to psychologists who study this stuff is um, that they have a more rigorous definition of procrastination than, than most of us do. Okay. I think when most of us talk about procrastination, uh, just, you know, in, in, in everyday conversation, we, we use the word to mean any kind of delay. Um, but for a, a psychologist, uh, someone with a more rigorous definition, they, they'd insist that procrastination has to be delay undertaken with the knowledge that at some point that delay is going to come back to bite you in the future. Uh, so there has to be that knowledge that, that what you're doing is, um, is harmful to yourself in some way or will be in the future. Um, so th- that's one of the distinctions that I learned to make about, um, about procrastination. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. We are uh, talking with Andrew Santella, who is the author of the book Soon, An Overdue History of Procrastination from Leonardo and Darwin to you and me. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, the interesting thing about maybe this topic and, and where we are now uh, and it's something we've discussed on the show before, is the fact that people are so much busier now today than, or at least it feels that way, than even, let's say, 20 years ago. And while some people would see it as procrastination, other people would see it as it's just kind of what we've gotten used to as our normal cycle of life right now because we are so busy. Right. There are, there are, it seems like there are so many more ways uh, to uh, divert ourselves, divert our attention. There's you know, unending streams of information coming at us. And, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to starting this writing project, but let me check my Twitter account first. And yeah. the next thing you know, it's 6 o'clock that night, and you still haven't you know, started your, your writing yet. And uh, not that I'm speaking from personal experience there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the thing about that is that it's easy to, to blame, or, or it might seem easy to blame, uh, information technology for our tendency to procrastinate. But I guess one of the one of the lessons of um, one of the history lessons of procrastination is that you know people have been finding ways to put off what they don't want to do for as long as there have been things to do, and uh, it long predates the internet. It long predates my Twitter account. What is your and what did you learn about yourself by doing this book? Uh, I guess I, I'm uh, I'm ashamed to say that I'm not as awful a procrastinator as I thought I was. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I was when I was working on the book, people will ask you know me, um, what are you working on? And I'd say I'm writing a book about procrastination, and the responses were telling. They would all, almost almost invariably they would say, "Oh, that's the book for me. I'm the world's worst procrastinator." Yeah. Or or I'm a terrible procrastinator. And what struck me was that first of all, they were using all these very uh, uh, judgmental, negative words about themselves. I'm the worst. I'm terrible. And yet they were sort of bragging about it. Um, so there is a, typically uh, a typical um, sort of ambivalence about their procrastination. They were at once ashamed of it, but perversely proud of it, too. And I, I totally feel that way about my own procrastination. Um, so uh, that's why I say I'm a little uh, I'm a little disappointed to find out that I'm not the world's worst procrastinator, and I suppose the finished product of the book is 
you know, testimony to that. But is there an element, and I find it interesting, that when you when you think about what you just said, so many people day-to-day that you would bump into on the street, in the library, in the grocery, that would say that they are procrastinators, but then you give the examples that you do of some obviously very well-known people who are procrastinators, it almost is like it gives it a sense of, of commonality, and it's not as bad as a lot of people think. Well, that's what's great about reading about, you know, history's great procrastinators, and that's what I loved about researching the book. You know, their their stories are uh, are good cover for us, the rest of us procrastinators. Uh, I could look at Leonardo, I could look at Darwin, and I could say, hey, it worked for them, maybe I'm not so bad. Um, And, you know, that's, I suppose, maybe a a dangerous game to play, because... uh, uh, the fact is, I, I'll confess, I'm not Leonardo, nor am I Darwin, and um, I'm not sure I can get away with what they get away with. But, but having their, having uh, understanding their stories, knowing their stories, um, I think helps us understand ourselves as procrastinators, and um, helps us understand why we do what we do, or I guess more relevantly, why we don't do what we don't do. You you tell uh, in the book uh, the story of Albert Ellis uh, and and the relationship as a as a psychologist to procrastination and how those two entities are, have been kind of linked now for I guess going on close to a hundred years at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I guess I guess as as a sort of a, of a branch of medicine. Um, psychiatry and psychology want to cure us of our procrastination. Um, procrastination is, uh, a psychologist would tell us, uh, a maladaptive behavior, and, and it needs to be fixed. And you know, I, I appreciate that. There's a the, the, there's psychologists who do great work on the topic, and there are procrastinators for whom their habit is a real problem and no no joke. Um, that said, I'm not, you know, entirely sympathetic to the idea that uh, we need to be entirely efficient in our in going about our tasks all the time. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I would say that uh, one of the lessons I took away from the book is that you know there's efficiency may be ideal, but you know we're human and we're less than ideal. There's when 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 a human's engaged in something that you know there will be detours, but it's okay because yep. there's more than one path to to achievement. You also uh, link this issue also to the old traditional to do list, which in many cases the to do list starts out at you know with five things, ten things, whatever that that number may be, and invariably many of them get pushed off kind of as a degree of procrastination to get to them a week down the road, two weeks down the road? I am uh, a devoted list maker, and, you know, it really doesn't help me get my tasks done. Um, although I guess what I – I guess the reason I make so many lists is that it makes me feel like I'm doing something just compiling the lists, you know, and, and – um, I like having a long list of things to do. It makes me feel like you know that's my, I, I leave. It makes me feel like I lead a more interesting life, I guess. But um, the, the thing that's great about having so many lists around is that you can always come back to old lists, and quite often they're still they're still good. You know, I mean, right. I had most of the things on there I still haven't gotten around to doing. Um, I, I guess one of the things I learned to do though is to make lists that are a little more easy to. Um, 
complete. So, you know, if I get up first thing in the morning and brush my teeth, the first thing I'll put down on my to-do list is brush my teeth. I can, I can cross that off right away, and it's an amazing feeling of accomplishment. We're joined uh, on the phone by Andrew Santella, who is the author of the book Soon, An Overdue History of Procrastination from Leonardo and Darwin to You and Me. Your comments are welcome uh, either by the phone at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. But, you know, when you're talking about being a procrastinator, and I mentioned before about just just kind of the, uh, the, the busyness that we have amongst ourselves today, can procrastination be a, a tool in our, to a degree, arsenal of, of things that we use at work to be able to be a better person at work, to be a better person in society in general? I'm not sure I would recommend it right. <laughs> as a as a productivity tool. And in fact, I would I would. Um... But in some of these cases that you give, you know, there there's an element of it with Leonardo and and Darwin. And again, not that you know you are going to be able to reach those levels, but still, they were able to have a a, a version of procrastination that obviously ended up benefiting them. That's that's definitely so, and and um, I think that's an important thing to recognize. I guess my um, I guess I would take issue with the premise of productivity tools uh, okay. and, and having and, and, and productivity in general. Uh, I, I, um, I, I think procrastination uh, is something that we should tolerate and, and try to understand better. But if we try to use it as uh, as a as a way to get things done, well, then we're just uh, falling prey to the same sort of. Uh, um, the same sort of uh, devotion to efficiency that that you know doesn't work for us in the first in the first place. I guess what I'm trying to say is you know I think we should uh, is 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 that we should you know listen to the procrastination, um, try to understand what it's trying to tell us about ourselves, uh, if, try to reflect honestly about what we're putting off, why we're putting it off, yeah. and it, and you know that might help us understand what really matters to us and and how we can get things done better and uh, more and more uh, more quickly is there one or two things that for people that pick up the book and read it uh, is there one or two things you hope that that they will take away from the book yeah I, I hope first of all that they'll be more tolerant of procrastination in others um, and and in themselves uh, you know we're all human we're all wrestling with the same uh, demons and um, so that's that's the first thing a plea for a plea for tolerance uh, for uh, the world's procrastinators, um, and I would uh, ask them to embrace the the history of, and understand the history of procrastination. There's a lot to be learned by studying the great procrastinators like Leonardo, like Darwin, and even frankly, if you don't learn anything, it's a great way to kill some time. <laughs> Andrew, thanks very much for for coming on the show today. Very uh, had a great time talking to you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you again. The book is soon an overdue history, and that was not lost on me as well. An overdue history of procrastination from Leonardo and Darwin to you and me. Uh, the book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.